You know, many today have noted that the American church is in decline. Uh, they, they look at uh, statistics that show that church attendance is, is lower than it has been, that the number of people who are gathering for worship is, is uh, clearly not what it once was. And, and so uh, many folks will say, well, it's clear that the church is in decline. And the folks who, take, who, who do the research and the statistics and take this apart, they say one of the primary reasons that church attendance is down is that in the past, a regular member or a regular attender would go weekly. And now a regular attender goes far less frequently. And, and so uh, a lot of the sociologists and others who, who study such things have suggested that the future of the church in America is grim. Now, others disagree and, and have argued otherwise. Still, you can see other studies that suggest that the way the average church attender lives and the non-church attender lives is similar, that there's not a lot of difference. And, and so some have pointed out that the church is in many ways uh, lukewarm or doesn't provide a consistent moral witness or uh, a witness of integrity. So anemic churches... Anemic Christians, is this how it's supposed to be? I mean, is this why Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life and then ultimately was nailed to the cross to build a church that, that can so often be compromised, that can sometimes be called apathetic or, or half-hearted impotent? To save Christians who will love him so thinly to save Christians who will be distracted by a thousand other things? Is this what Jesus came to this earth for, to, to live and to die? Or did Jesus come that we might be a people who love him wholeheartedly, who love him with, with all that we are? Well, we're going to spend some time in Revelation 2 this morning as we think together about this. It's a passage that, that we've looked at briefly together before. It's a very important passage as we think about our mission statement together. Remember, we are spending a few weeks to ask the question, who are we as a church and who has God called us to be? Our mission statement is this, to love God, grow in Christ, and tell the world about the love of Jesus. And this morning, we're going to spend some time thinking about the first part of that mission statement to love God. We want to lead people to, to love Him. And so we're going to ask, what does that look like individually? And then what does that look like as a church family? Again, we're looking in Revelation 2. The Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation when he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He had been exiled for his faith by Emperor Domitian. And one Sunday morning, John was worshiping the Lord. And suddenly he found himself taken up into heaven and he had a, a series of visions. And these were visions that, that the Lord had given him and he, and he wrote these visions down. And this became uh, the book of Revelation. And it was sent to seven churches uh, in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. This morning we're going to take a look at his message to the church at Ephesus. This was John's home church. This was where he had poured his life. And in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus has a lot of encouraging words for the church at Ephesus, but he also has an exhortation and a warning. We'll consider it. Let's look at Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who hold the seven stars in his right hand, 
who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. In this passage of Scripture, we see that the church is meant to love God passionately. God wants us to love him with all that we are. In verse 1, we see that this was written uh, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. The angel means messenger, and probably this is written to the pastor. Many commentators believe that, that this is just referring to the pastor. It may well be that there's an angel that overlooks or cares for a particular church, however. This is a message directly from Jesus to the church. In Revelation 1.20, we can see that when Jesus speaks of a lampstand here, that the lampstand represents the churches. So what we see already from verse 1 is this. Jesus cares for his churches. He holds them in his hands. His churches matter to him. One thing that I've noticed that's different between my wife and I is that when she's watching the children, you can count on this. They're probably getting a little better quality when it comes to, to keeping up with them. I am a little more easily distracted, and, and, and my wife, constantly, it's a pop-up in her mind. Where, where are the kids? Where are they? Are they okay? Are they okay? And in my mind, I'm thinking about the kids, but then such and such is going on, and oh, wait, what about the kids? And dads, you know what I'm talking about. Your wives just seem to have something built in that helps them keep up with all of that. They love those babies, and they keep a focus on those babies. What you see here in Revelation 2 is that Jesus loves his churches, and he keeps up with them. They they matter to him, like a mother who cares for her, her, her child. So the Lord cares for his people. In verses 2, verses 3, and verses 6, Jesus is going to to compliment this church in Ephesus. He's going to to say, I see what's happening. I I see what's happening in in this church, and here are some things that are great. He says to the church at Ephesus, you've been faithful in your service. That's great. And then he says, you've been patient in the midst of suffering and, and hardship. You've endured That's incredible. And he says, you have a commitment to the truth. You will not put up with false teachers, even the the Nicolaitans. You stand against all of those who who teach false teachings. And Jesus says, all that, church, is good. That's really good. So in verse 4, after just praising him, he says, there's something in your church that needs attention. And what does he say? You have abandoned the love that you had at first. 
You've abandoned the love that you had at first. No, imagine, that's like a dagger going through the heart of, of the church. He says, you used to love me with all that you are. But you don't love me like that anymore. You don't have that kind of passion for me anymore. They still love, just not with the same enthusiasm, not with the same intensity, the same zeal. Now, this church was morally pure. It was doctrinally sound. But they were losing their love for Jesus. Think about a long marriage. We've all seen this, a marriage that's lasted 30 or 40 years. And a husband or a wife comes in and, and tells their spouse, look, this is over. And what do they say? I don't love you anymore. And a marriage falls apart, and, and we, we hear stories like that. We have friends that that's happened to, and it's heartbreaking. What is Jesus saying here? He's not saying to the church at Ephesus, I don't love you anymore. But he's saying to the church at Ephesus, you don't love me anymore. Not like you used to. Not the way that you used to be passionate about me. Do you hear how this should stir emotion in our hearts as we consider our love for the Lord, as we consider where, where we're at in our walk with Christ? Verse 5, he says, remember how you used to love me? How you used to be committed to me and dedicated to me? How, how, you, how you used to clear aside other things so that you could spend time with me and the Word and, and worship and all those kinds of things? Remember the way you used to love me? He says, hey... Love me like that again. Repent, turn. Don't keep going the way you're going, church. No, turn and, and love me like you used to. Now in John 14, 21, Jesus said this, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves, loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. So what does Jesus say is love for him, it's obeying him. When we really love Jesus, we obey him. It's not just talk, it's real. It's fleshed out in our day-to-day -day actions. It's fleshed out in the words we use. It's fleshed out in the decisions that we make. When we really love him, we obey. It's not that we obey to earn his love. That's silly. We could never earn his love. But we obey as an expression of our love because he's loved us so much. And so Jesus says, You've lost your first love. Love me. Obey me. But notice what he says. If you don't repent, I'll remove your lampstand. What's he saying? If you don't change, if you continue on this path that you're on of drifting away and becoming cooler and cooler in your love for me, if you do that, and you need to recognize this is what's going to happen. I'm going to take away your lampstand. In other words, you're no longer going to be a bearer of the gospel. You're no longer going to, to shine the light of a witness for Christ. Ultimately, you're no longer going to be a church. You may gather in a building and call yourself a church, but when you quit loving me, it's history. Now, those who serve in the military after uh, uh, their, their time of service, if they've served well, what do they receive? An honorable discharge. But if there's been some compromise in their service, what, what do they receive? They receive a dishonorable discharge. 
And it's as if Jesus is saying to the church at Ephesus, you are on the verge, if you continue down the path that you're on, of being dishonorably discharged. And this was a good church, doctrinally sound, morally pure. But they were losing their love for Jesus. They were losing their heart for him. It was a serious issue. So let's think about what this looks like in our own life, and then we'll take some time to think about what it looks like in the life of of our congregation, our church family. First, individually, it means that each one of us need to love Jesus with all our hearts. Love Jesus with all your heart. What does love for Jesus look like? It looks like obedience. It looks like obedience. It doesn't look like excuses and rationalizations and reasons that I can't. No, it looks like obedience. Forrest Finn, maybe you've heard of him, a wealthy art dealer, up into his 80s. He, he apparently hid a treasure that was worth $2 million somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And uh, some years back, he wrote a memoir. And within that memoir, he included a poem. And the poem, apparently, within it were embedded clues to the location of that treasure. And after that uh, information about this hidden or buried treasure began to, to appear, People, people started looking for the treasure. Now there's an estimated 65,000 people who spend time focusing on looking for that $2 million treasure that Finn apparently hid. And in the process of looking for this treasure, two people have died. Two people have died. Police have called on Finn to, to call the search off, but, but he won't do it. Can you imagine losing your life in the pursuit of treasure. Isn't that kind of crazy to think about? But you know what? In reality, if we're not careful, we're we're doing the very same thing. We're chasing after this treasure and we're chasing after that. And we're spending the days that God has given us. We're we're wasting them away on things that, that aren't treasure at all. Not ultimately. So so what's God calling us to? He's calling us to treasure him, to seek him like, like, like treasure, to say, Jesus, more than anything in the world, God, I want to know you. I want to love you. I want it to be real, Lord. But many of us, if we're not careful, we'll waste the days that God has given in silly pursuits. And some of these pursuits will be deadly, honestly. So let's love Jesus wholeheartedly. Let's chase after him. Let's search for him. Let's seek him. Let's think about what this looks like in the life of of our church family. Well, how do we want to be a church that helps people to love God? Well, primarily, one of the primary ways we want to carry this out is we want to gather together for corporate worship. So prioritize corporate worship. That's one of the ways that, that, that we love God. We, we prioritize our, our corporate worship. Why? Because when we get together, we gather for one purpose, not to spotlight any person or highlight someone. We gather together to put the spotlight on God and to say to God, you are great and good and glorious. And so, so it's a time to, to worship him, to love him. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says it clearly. 
And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying when we get together, we can help each other love God more. So that's one of the reasons we gather. We gather to worship him, to love him, and to spur each other on in our, in our commitment to God. I want you to imagine that uh, you're uh, going to a football game. It's a district playoff game. And you go up into the stands to support your team, and you find that you're one of a handful of people. And you look in the other stadium, and it is jam-packed. People are everywhere, standing room only. People are standing all around. And in your stadium, you look around. There's just a few of you. Now, do you think that that is going to have an impact on how those players play? I'll bet it is. I'll bet that the cheering from the stands that are full is going to invigorate and enliven that team, the opposing team. And the handful of folks who are here well, that's probably just going to discourage the home team. How does this apply here? When we get together for God's glory, when we get together for worship, we enliven each other. We encourage one another. I see a sister who really loves Jesus, and I can, I can see it in the way that she treats people and in the way that she talks, and it makes me want to love him more. I see a brother who suffered adversity and struggled and maintained heart for the Lord and it tells me you know what Lonnie your trials quit whining about them trust the Lord look at how that brother has done it you see that helps us move forward in the faith we enliven and invigorate each other's faith we help each other keep loving God that is how God meant for it to be for us to be gathered together like that so I want to ask you is being in worship a priority in your life is it if it's not, then, then I want to say to you, maybe what God wants to do in your life today is to help you work on this. Maybe there's some things that you need to say no to. Maybe some of the things that happen on a Saturday night, you, you need to say, you know what, we're not going to do that or we're only staying until this time because if we don't, we won't prioritize worship tomorrow. So we're going to make some subtractions of our lives. We're going to say no to some good things so that we can say yes to the things that matter most. Maybe this morning, that's the one thing that God wants you to take away. Next, serve in ministry. Serve in ministry. One of the ways that we encourage people to love God is through serving Him. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7 says this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord empowers them all and every one. To each is given the manifestation of, of the spirit for the common good. What is this saying? Jesus is saying that each person who knows him has a spiritual gift. All sorts of gifts. And each one is given. Each one is given. Whether it's the gift of mercy or the gift of service or helping, the gift of administration. We could list all kinds of gifts. Why is each one given? Not for our personal benefit, but for the good of the church. The good of the church. That, that a person would serve for the common good. So each person will take the spiritual gift that they've been given and they'll minister to others so that the church is strengthened and is what God has called it to be. And so I want to ask you, if you know Jesus, 
are you taking the gift that God has given and serving and helping the church be the body that it's meant to be? If you're not, I, if you're not, I, I want you to understand something. The Bible says that this church is less than it could be because we need you. This church is less than, than God has envisioned it to be because your gifts are needed. So one of the ways that we express our love for God is serving him in ministry. Some of you have limits with your health. You, there's just a lot of things that you can't do. And so I, I would encourage you, do, do what you can. Maybe, maybe you can uh, visit somebody now and then uh, that, that, that's homebound. Then, then do that. Or, or maybe you, your health wouldn't even allow that. Maybe you could jot them a note. Maybe you could call them and pray with them. Maybe you could spend good time praying. You see what I'm saying. Each one of us has different factors in our lives that, that affect our ability to serve, but each one of us needs to give what we can give for the good and strengthening of the body that we might be the church that God has called us to be, that we might be a church who truly loves God. We look at what's going on with the hurricane and we see devastation everywhere and the task seems overwhelming. The thousands of homes and businesses and, and infrastructure that needs to be repaired and replaced and destroyed and demolished and rebuilt and all those things. And it just seems huge. And, and we look at that and all of us have a sense of, hey, we need, to, we need to do our part. We need to give or we need to help in some way. Because something that big requires everybody to show up, doesn't it? Well, folks, the Lord has given a mission to First Baptist Church Uvalde that is huge, and it is of eternal consequence. What has God called us to do? He's called us to make the gospel known. There are thousands of people living within miles of this church who do not know Jesus. That is a mission worth pouring your life into, that people might come to know him, and that families might be changed, that kids might have daddies who love them and care about them because they love Jesus that families might be rescued. Do, do you see? This is a mission that's huge. And God hasn't just called First Baptist Church Uvalde to be concerned with, with our area. He's called us to be concerned with getting the gospel out, to, to getting the love of Jesus out all over the whole world. This is a global call. And you know what it means? We need all hands on deck. If we're going to be a church that loves God and serves Him, we need all hands on deck. Next, another way that we encourage uh, you to, to love God, and as a church we strive to love God, is to give cheerfully. To give cheerfully. Second Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he is determined in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So what? What do we see here? Every person is supposed to give, but to give cheerfully, to give with joy and excitement. This says that God loves a cheerful giver. So when you give and you do it with a smile on your face, that brings joy to the heart of God. Why? Because when we give, all we're doing is we're acknowledging that God has given it to us, that we don't have anything on our own, that everything that we have, it's truly a gift from him. So he's not talking about giving by feeling guilted into it. That's not 
pleasing to God. Giving because you feel pressured into it. That's not pleasing to God. What's pleasing to God is giving with a smile on your face. And I'll tell you the best example of this I think I've seen is the week of vacation Bible school. Now, granted, the kids are giving away their parents' money, which probably makes a difference, most of them. But those kiddos come with a handful of money, and they can't wait to put it in the bucket. They can't wait. They're joyous, joyfully giving, and it's precious to see. They're joyfully giving. That's how God wants us to give. It's a way that we can show our love for him, to give with joy, with a glad heart. Another way as a church family that we want to encourage you to love God and that that we can be that as a family is when each one of us engages the disciplines of the Christian life. So I want to encourage you to engage the disciplines of the Christian life. What are the disciplines of the Christian life? It's things like reading the word. It's things like prayer. It's it's telling people about Jesus. It's memorizing the word. We could have a whole list here. But when you engage those disciplines in your life, it helps to change you and shape you. Psalm 1 is a great verse about this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You see, every single day we need to be taking in the Bible. We need Bible intake in our lives. We need to spend some good time reading the Word of God. We need to carve out time, spend time reading it. We we need to hear it. We need to gather for times like this, listen to good podcasts. All those things will help us too, but we want to daily read the Word. We also want to take times on occasion for good studying of the Word, where we dig deeper into the Word, when we meditate on the Word and think about how it plays out in our own lives. And ultimately, we want to apply the Word. We want to take what the word says and we want it to be real in our lives and how we live. The decisions that we make, the attitudes that we have, the words that we say, all those things. We want the word to to be alive in us. We want to apply it. So we want to engage the Christian discipline. So I would encourage you, if you know Jesus, take time every single day to read the Bible. Not only that, but also to pray. Mark 1.35, we read about Jesus. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus was getting away early in the morning, away from distractions, and he was spending time talking to the Father in prayer. Oh, surely we, we need to be people of prayer. You see, as we spend time praising God in prayer, and as we spend time bringing our needs to God in prayer, it softens our heart. We, we have a, a sense in which we're talking to a God who loves us, who cares for us. And it helps us to, to love him more deeply. So I want to ask you, are you engaging the Christian disciplines? If you're sort of high center in your Christian walk, maybe this is the reason. Maybe you've not taken good time every day to read the word. Maybe you've not taken good time every day to pray. Another way, another Christian discipline that will help us grow in our love for Jesus, and this is one that Many of us will get a D or an F on if we're not careful. And that is sharing Jesus with others. When we share Jesus with others, with the right heart, not with an arrogant or proud heart or something, but when we share Jesus with others with a humble heart that wants to see them know the love of Jesus, man, that, that stirs the embers of our love for Jesus. That, that gives us a new passion and zeal. So are you, 
Are you sharing Jesus with anybody? Now, all of us know that exercising is key in maintaining good health, maintaining physical fitness. We, we know that. It's not always easy to, to live that out, right? But, but we know that, that when we exercise, it helps our bodies be healthy. So physical workout is good for the body. But spiritual training is good for the soul. And Paul says that, it's a, that it is of greater value than physical training. Though physical training is good. So are you working out spiritually? Are you exercising? Are you, you know, with exercise, it needs to be consistent. You're doing it daily. You're doing it consistent. You're doing it regularly. When it comes to the disciplines of the Christian life, reading the word, praying, those kinds of things, you need to be doing them consistently, regularly. Next, prioritize family worship. And prioritize family worship. Psalm 147 or 145, beginning in verse 4, says, One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. So what we see, and you can look in Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6, 4, other places, what we see is that parents, you need to be training your kids in the faith. So God's plan is what? That dads and moms tell their kids about Jesus, that dads and moms model it, that dads and moms are instructing their children in the word of God. And this is one of the ways as a church we encourage you to love God, to lead your families to love God. So dads, the primary responsibility is on you. It's on you to step up and to lead your wife and to lead your children and your home in that regard. So get together. If you can do it daily, do it daily. Maybe it's early in the morning and you spend five, ten minutes just reading a, a short uh, scripture it, depending on the age of the kids, it will probably vary a little bit, talk a little bit about what it means, pray together, sing a song together. Just have a short little time of family worship. Don't make it long and miserable and drawn out where your kids dread it and, and, and such. No, make it a time that's joyful and fun, a time that you engage with your kids. Um, and when they act like it doesn't matter to them, trust the Lord by faith that it will matter one day. Um, so, so we want to encourage you to have that kind of time with your kids. We, by the way, Provide gospel project devotionals. So if you look in the back in the foyer, you can pick up a devotional, one for younger children and one for teenagers. And these help lead you in having family devotional times that correspond with what we're studying together on Sunday morning, what children are studying and what adults are studying, a journey through the Word together. So that should be a tool to help you. If you go to our website and, and look under resources and family worship, there are other tools there that can help you. You know, we teach our kids all kinds of things. Teach them how to drive. Uh, teach them how to change a tire. Maybe how to cook. Uh, how to do laundry. How to back a trailer. How to throw a ball. All sorts of things we teach them. But if we're not careful, we'll forget to teach them the things that matter the most. Parents, if, if we're going to teach our kids to love God, and if we're going to be a church who loves God, then God must be loved within the families. Teach your kiddos. Train them. Maybe you heard about uh, a woman named Nicole Reichart. She was in the midst of, of all of the, the devastation. She was in her car driving. And at a Shell gas station, she saw 16 people who were seeking shelter. And what did she do? She began to take those folks back to her home by making trips back and forth. And when she got them, all 16 of them there, she prepared food for them. She found places for all of them to sleep. 
Now, Miss Reichert is on staff at a, at a Baptist church there working with children in Houston. And what you see is that her heart exemplified a love for God that, that welled over into love for people. That's exactly how it's supposed to work. Now, what if every one of us loved God with all that we were? What if every one of us said, God, I'm seeking you above everything else. God, you're the treasure I'm going to look for. You're the treasure that I'm going to seek. Think of the difference that would make in in our lives and the lives of our families and people that we know. When we love God like that, what happens is God fills us up with love to the point that it's overflowing and it flows out to other people and it impacts other people. What if all of us Loved God like that. Imagine how God could use this church family. Imagine the great work that God could accomplish here in our hearts. So I have one question for you and for myself today, and that is this. Will you love God wholeheartedly? Will you love him? Will you help us be a church who doesn't just have love God written out as a mission statement, but help us be a church who lives that out? who loves him passionately. Let's be that church, brothers and sisters. Let's be that church. It'll make a difference in this community. It'll make a difference ultimately all over the world, and it'll make a difference for all eternity. It is a worthy goal to be a church who loves God. I want to speak to you today, friend, you're, you're here, and maybe you've never become a believer. You've never become a Christian. You've, you've been in church some. You've, you've maybe done some religious things. You, you know about Jesus. But all of that's very different than knowing Jesus. In John 15, 13, the scriptures say, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did for you. He laid down his life for you. You see, Jesus left the glory of heaven, the majesty of heaven. And he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He didn't do one thing wrong. But he was nailed to the cross by wicked men. But I want you to know, ultimately he was nailed to the cross for you. He was nailed to the cross for you. Why did Jesus need to go to the cross? Why? Because all of us are sinful. And God is holy. He, he can't overlook our sin or ignore our sin. It would be like this. Suppose that, that the chief of police in town said, you know what? We're not going to worry about people who do something so small as stealing. It's not a big deal. We're not going to worry about it. I'm just going to turn my head. Well, what would happen? The people would say, The chief of police can't ignore crime. That's not right. It compromises who he's supposed to be. And yet all of us have a tendency to think that God will be like that police chief, that he'll just overlook our sin, that he'll say it's no big deal. But the scriptures tell us that he won't. The scriptures tell us because of his character, because of his purity, that he can't overlook our sin. So what did he do? He took the judgment 
that we deserve for our sin. And instead of you having to face it, and instead of me having to face it, he made his son face his own judgment. And Jesus took the penalty for our sin upon himself, and he made a way for a God who's pure and holy to receive sinners like you and me. So what do you need to do to become a believer, to know Jesus personally and know his love? You call out to him and say, Jesus, I've sinned, I've gone my own way, and I don't want to do that anymore. I want to follow you. And the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you say to Jesus, forgive me, I want to follow you, the Bible's clear, he'll grab you up, he'll wash the sin away, and he'll never let go of you. What kind of love is that? It's an amazing love. And so today, I plead with you, if you do not know him or you're not sure, today you could be sure. In just a moment, we'll stand and sing. And when we do, I'll be here, Brother Ralph will be here, and we would love nothing more than to tell you how you could know Jesus and to help you meet him or to talk with you through, through that situation if you're unsure. So today, will you do that? It'll make a difference for all eternity. Friend, for all eternity. And church family, what one change is God calling you to make? Maybe it has to do with worship. Maybe it has to do with reading the word. Today, before you leave here, if you're not reading the word daily, I want that to be what you pray about. And before you leave, I want you to jot down on your bulletin, here's a time I could start reading the word and praying daily. Maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's on a commute. Um, you could listen to the word and pray. Maybe it's a, a break or lunchtime. Maybe it's late at night once others have gone to bed. Whatever it is, I want you to find a time. Jot it down if you're, if you're not doing that consistently now and ask the Lord to help you make time for him. Let's be a church who helps people love God by being a people who love him with all that we are. Join me in prayer.